Hello and welcome to the podcast According to Sci Faith, where we discuss topics revolving around the compatibility of science and faith. I'm Josua Göcking and you're listening to According to Sci Faith. All right, let's start. So if you are listening to this episode, you might have noticed that there uh, must have been a change because this episode is pretty long. This is due to uh, uh, some changes in the production of this podcast and I want to explain it to you such that you understand how uh, this podcast is produced from now on and then you can uh, can understand the changes and uh, know how you can listen to this podcast because there are some redundancies. Because it is like that, what I will do from now on is uh, every four weeks I will produce a large chunk of uh, four episodes and I will also release them in, in one thing like th this what you are listening to now. This will be four episodes in one. And I will call those preview rap episodes where you can listen to all of the next four episodes at once. This is for listeners who like long format podcasts and who have no worries about listening to a podcast who is one and a half hours long like this episode might well be. And for, for those who prefer a shorter version of it, for you we have also something in the next four weeks I will produce, uh, I will release those uh, episodes in, in, in individual form. So you can decide for yourself which one you want to have. Do you want to ha have all the episodes all at once or do you want to hear them weekly in small uh, uh, parts? So I think this way uh, you can have the best of both worlds. If you like long format podcasts, listen to the long one. If you like it in shor shorter versions, bit by bit, then listen to those. And it's also better for me because it, e it makes it easier for me to produce uh, large amounts of content. Okay then, let's start. Episode 61. Multiverse, hidden variables or random chance. This is uh, to, uh, an article I wrote for the uh, for the Studio, Studium Integrale Journal uh, from the Studiengemeinschaft Wort und Wissen, uh, which is a um, society in Germany who where we um, uh, argue about science and faith and how a biblical worldview can still be in line with scientific findings and also where scientific findings uh, deviate from the faith. We discuss it. We discuss uh, how we can interpret these results in such a way that uh, science is, is still in, in agreement with uh, the statements of the bible so it's uh, pretty interesting discussions pretty interesting things mainly focused of course on uh, evolution and crea creationistic theories uh, but there's also space for uh, physics and this is the part where i engage with them and i w was able to write an article about uh, my findings or about what i uh, have become to know uh, in physics and also to uh, what i specifically what I talk about in my book, Sci Faith, the compatibility of science and faith, about theories and worldviews. And I, I was allowed to write an article there. And this was released last year in May. And uh, by now I was also able to translate it into English. And it is now available on my blog. 
So yeah, there you can read the whole article in English. And today in, in this episode, I will not read through the whole article, but I will read through the abstract and will shortly discuss the ideas that are behind it so that you get an idea of what the article is about. And I really encourage you afterwards to open it up after you listen to this episode, open it up the article and read it completely through because then you really get to grasp the whole con uh, content, the whole ideas. And I think it's really encouraging, especially as, as, as a reader who um, tries to uh, ma maneuver the topic of science and faith and how they can be uh, compatible. And this is all, as you might have already, if you're familiar with some of my content, you notice that, that I always put this in relation to quantum mechanics because there you really can see this play out. So let's go through this abstract and I, I will... Uh, every one or two sentences or every paragraph I will make make a short stop and discuss uh, what this is about, say more to it and explain a little bit of, of, of what, what I, I mean by, by the sentences I made. So let's start. The double slit experiment shows that quantum objects have both wave and particle properties, wave-particle duality. So this is um, the main thing of quantum mechanics that that it ha is ha has this um, weird feature that uh, particles or, or the quantum objects on a microscopic level seem to have both a wave nature and a particle nature. And this is really odd because wave and particles are really completely different concepts. In addition to the type of measurement, has an influence of on the outcome of the experiment measurement problem. So the type of the measurement you do has an influence on, on how the experiment, the outcome of the experiment will be, which is really odd because usually in science you say uh, what uh, say what I do or I'm the the as the observer I'm not related to the experiment. I'm not part of the experiment i'm like an external observer so it should not affect the experiment in an ideal way and in quantum mechanics this is not the case too you you have this measurement problem which basically states that if if you did it, it, it that if you observe a state then this will influence or affect the outcome of the experiment Mathematically, the observations can be described using various approaches. For example, the Schrödinger picture, the Heisenberg picture, and the Feynman's, uh, and Feynman's path integral formulation. So this is from uh, mathematics. There are certain ways to describe this behavior. So if you have new um, phenomena in physics occurring, the first thing phys uh, physicists do is to try to describe it. And to describe it, they use math. So you, you can really, uh, often it is said, math is the language of physics, and this is really true. We formulate or we, we express something about physics uh, in mathematics, in mathematical language. Of course, if you hear listening, uh, a physicist talking, he does not only speak in equations, he also uses English or German or where, wherever you are. Uh, language, if it's an international language, uh, society then then they use english so in in their papers they also write in always write in english but they also speak in equations and the physics itself is mostly or or completely formulated in equations and mathematical equations so it's really the language of science which i think you need to understand if you especially if you are in the that this is uh, 
slightly distracting from the point, but I think it's important to understand it, that uh, if you are dealing with scientific facts, with especially with physics, and you don't look at any equations and only at the explanations or, uh, at for, for example, in uh, explanations in popular science books and so on, you always need to take this with a grain of salt because the real language physics is formulated in is maths. And if you deviate from this by trying to explain the maths in English language or in another language, then there's also something you lose, some information that gets lost. And then it can be, it can happen that there is some knowledge lost and that you come to false conclusions if you only go from that. But okay, that's just a side note, just that you know that if you really want to grasp all of physics, you unfortunately for some people, you really have to grasp the maths behind it. Okay, but let's continue. Or, or uh, one more thing to this, uh, because what I, this sentence is actually saying that there are certain pictures uh, or certain mathematical descriptions of quantum mechanics. So what they did, uh, the first physicists who came uh, on, uh, who were introduced to quantum mechanics, they found a mathematical description of what actually goes on there. So by this, you have not really understood yet what... Um, what physically happens, but you have a description of it in physics. So you can say, okay, using this mathematical uh, formulation, I can uh, describe what's happening physically. And those uh, were the pictures they used, the, the Schrödinger picture, the Heisenberg picture, and then there's also Feynman's path and the Corral formulation. So the Schrödinger picture is... Um, described later and uh, let me just say the pa Feynman path integral formulation is also very interesting uh, because it's also very um, yeah but I, I recommend to you to read the article there I shortly describe it and then uh, you, you can see what's the interesting part about it I think I also did some podcast episodes or wrote some articles about it. But if you want to have more information for this, then just let me know. And then maybe I can produce a podcast episode specifically on that topic. Okay, let's continue. According to the Schrödinger picture, the quantum objects are in a superposition of several states and are only fixed to one state by the measurement. So this is what the Schrödinger picture tells you. It... it um, says that there are several, every state that a particle or the quantum object can be in are uh, with some probability they are taken and uh, it, they are only fixed once you make a measurement. So before you make a measurement, you cannot say in which state the particle is. The probability with which they are measured in a given state can be determined from Schrodinger's wave equation. So this is the, the equation that is given. I think many of you may, might have heard of it, Schrodinger's wave equation or the Schrodinger equation, which uh, gives you this wave equation, which um, basically gives you the probability to find a particle in a specific say state. For example, to find a particle at a specific place at a certain time. And the Continuing, the interpretation of this equation is the subject, the subject of controversial debate and it has been shown that they can be interpreted in different ways. So as we said before, there we have, we have the mathematical description, there we also already have three, three descriptions, maybe there are more, but we know specifically of these three that can describe all of quantum mechanics mathematically and there's 
no controversial debate about which is the proper one because everyone knows okay you can use that one you can use that one and some fit better for this for uh, for one purpose and some fit better for another purpose for example in pure quantum mechanics you usually use the schrodinger or the heisenberg picture so usually it's the schrodinger picture the heisenberg picture or a combination of schrodinger and heisenberg picture is used usually if you have interactions in place and once you go deeper down uh, the rabbit hole so to speak if once you go down to quantum field theory uh, where you also put in rel relativistic effects there at some place the Feynman path integral is pretty useful and there you uh, use also this approach so it's just a matter of which is more convenient for solving the equations you want to solve so there's no controversial debate about now this is the right or this is the wrong it's just different uh, tools uh, that can be used for uh, and that are more convenient in one way or less convenient in another but then then there's a different point of interpreting these results so really saying what does happen on a physical level so you 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 move yourself away to some degree from the mathematical description and really try to understand on a philosophical level what happens on, on a subatomic level. What does it mean that I cannot say in which state a particle is unless I measure it? And before there is no way of telling, not only no way, way of measuring, so but no way of telling. There's no consistent way of speaking of a particle in a certain state if it is not measured in that state. So this is there. There really uh, is controversial debate about what this means, and also what it means that I can only give a probability of finding a particle in a in a certain state. What does it mean that it is not determined? That it is not determined from its initial conditions in which state it will be. And there are certain interpretations, and in in the continuation of the article, I talk about this. So let's let's continue with the abstract. The most common is the Copenhagen interpretation, which state that nature behave, actually behaves in this way. The measurement problem therefore shows the limit of what science can describe. So this was the first interpretation people came up with, for example Heisenberg and Niels Bohr, and uh, they initially formulated it. And what it basically really says is, okay, this, this randomness, this uh, random... Uh, um, part of is a part of physics is just the way the world works it's just this way and uh, nature behaves this way and it shows us that there is a limit in science it's it's we cannot go beyond the limit of uh, of these um randomness of nature so to speak and this is very popular mostly due to the reason that you um not due to philosophical reasons many or most physicists i have met would disagree on a philosophical level and would say no that's not how i really deep down in myself think that nature works but it is uh, popular because it allows you to say okay let's close the topic nature behaves that way it doesn't uh, make any good to speculate around and around instead of solving the equations we ha we have at hand so it's 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 a pr pragmatic approach it's pragmatically saying okay we just say it is like that we cannot there we cannot prefer one interpretation over another because there's no way to scientifically uh, prove them at least now and uh, so so we just say 
we just use this Copenhagen interpretation and we can you continue uh, calculating. So as one physicist uh, once said it, uh, shut up and calculate. So this is the idea behind it. So stop thinking about all the philosophy behind it, just calculate. But then there are many other interpretations which if you talk to people what they think philosophical about this topic, uh, where they say, no, the Copenhagen interpretation, I don't believe that, where they go uh, more in these directions. And there's, for example, or let's continue in the abstract, uh, I name one of them, uh, the De Broglie-Bohm theory assumes that uh, there are additional hidden variables that de determine the state of the particles. These move on a pilot wave given by the Schrödinger equation. So this is a pretty popular one. Generally, there's a whole class of hidden variable theories Albert Einstein was also one of those who who was who was really um, think uh, thinking about these theories or who preferred those to uh, classical quantum mechanics. And um, there are many people who who are inclined to um, believe these theories. There's a problem with hidden variables theories because um, uh, there are inequalities that have to be met if there are local hidden variables and Bell, a mathematician in the 60s, could show that this um, these inequalities need to be fulfilled and then it could be experimentally shown that these inequalities are not fulfilled in quantum mechanics. So the hidden variables theories, there is a, they are very restricted in what they how they can be applied. But the De Broglie-Bohm theory is one that uh, that is formulated such that it does not run into these issues and therefore it is valid in that sense. But still, um, it, it is, uh, yeah, you need to assume that there are no lo local hidden variables, which makes it a little bit harder to believe from some, I guess. And then there is also another very popular one. So let's continue in the abstract. In the many worlds theory, every state is assumed after a measurement only not in the same universe. Each measurement here requires the creation of many new worlds in which each of which one of the possibility possible states is assumed. So each of the possible states a particle or a quantum object can be in is obtained in this uh, interpretation, which would be ridiculous if you only had one world, because then every time you say I measure something, you would, would measure everything. That, 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 that doesn't make sense and that is not what we experience. So for this to make sense, it needs to be that we measure one thing in this world, but all the other states are measured in different worlds. And there we have many worlds, that, that, hence the name many worlds theory. So this leads us to ideas of a multiverse and all, 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 all this stuff where we, we say, okay, there are many, many worlds out there, worlds where I'm a rich, famous guy and, and so on. So all, all, all this kind of stuff. And I think this is also one reason why it is really popular that, that oneself is, is uh, or, or that, that there are many copies of our world where we have made, made completely different decisions and completely different outcomes and so on and so on. And um, I really discuss also the, the, the problems, in, or in my side, the problems, especially philosophically, with uh, this worldview and also what's behind it. Because uh, as you might have noticed, the De Broglie-Bohm theory and also the many world th worlds theory, what they do is basically they use quantum mechanics to come back to a deterministic worldview where you don't have this um, this 
uh, in determinism of quantum mechanics, uh, meaning the fact that everything depends on on probabilities that you can only give probabilities for a certain outcome and that nothing is determined by their initial conditions and with these alternative interpretations you you get this back you get uh, determ determinism back not in such a way that we can say uh, for foretell the future since we know the outcome of every measurement not in this way but in a general philosophical way that we know everything is determined although we cannot determine it ourselves. But still, the philosophical com component of everything being determined is, um, is pre preserved by this. And you can also see, if you look into the worldview of many who propose these theories, you can see that this is a worldview they hold on to, that they, uh, many of them also uh, believe, uh, for example, do not believe in free will, since they believe that... Um, that we are just material beings and that everything that happens is just uh, electrons and neurons firing in our heads and so on. And so everything that happens is completely determined. So if you make a decision for one thing or another thing, that's not your free will making this decision. It just appears to you this way. And actually it's just the way the world works and you are just part of a huge machine. And people who hold this worldview usually also prefer theory, deterministic theories or interpretations of quantum mechanics. Okay, with that let's continue. Despite their differences, all these interpretations can conclusively explain the double-slit experiment. So this is what all these interpretations have in common. They can all... Uh, all describe the data of quantum mechanics they can all make they make the same um the same statements the same uh, conclusions and so on and this is in one uh, this is the good thing and also the bad thing because it means they can all be true but it also means they can not be false it, it, there, there is no way of verifying or falsifying which of them is true and which of them is stone true so we have to allow all of them and there's therefore a plentitude of interpretations of quantum mechanics that you can have so if you want to do this exercise you can just go to uh, for example wikipedia and uh, type in interpretations of quantum mechanics and there's a huge article with different kinds of interpretations and the list Wikipedia offers is not even complete, I think. So everyone can have their own interpretation of quantum mechanics. And if you look among scientists, many of them have. So there are multiple different interpretations and you cannot tell which one is right, which one is wrong, unless you really find a mistake in one of those interpretations where it really contradicts the scientific data. But there are a plentitude of different interpretations for this that you can have and that you cannot rule out by scientific means. And this is also something in this article, so in this article it's not so much about interpretations of quantum mechanics itself, but I use this as an analogy uh, for, for something greater or for something regarding theories in general, And this is in the last sentence of the abstract I, I lead, to, lead to that. And there I, I say, similarly, many natural phenomena can also be explained by both naturalistic evolution as well as supernatural creation. So this is the statement that I make that I say 
as you have these many different interpretations of quantum mechanics uh, who are all different, who make all different statements, who even in their basic concept, in their basic philosophy can be completely different from deterministic to completely indeterministic. So in the same way that you have that, you can have for a general theory, like the theory of quantum mechanics, the theory of gravitation, the theory of also uh, uh, not not physical or uh, not, not physics theories, but maybe biological theories, like the theory of evolution. Uh, but if you want to go back to physics, like the theory of the Big Bang and so on, uh, you can have there. You can have also uh, uh, different kinds of interpretations. Uh, the data is firm. The data is uh, is fixed. Uh, Uh, as as far as their errors go, the, the data is fixed, but the interpretation of this data, there are different or alternate can be an alternative interpretation that describe the same data in the same way, but yield different interpretations, different um, con philosophical contexts. And in this way, you can can describe, for example, it is it should be in principle possible to describe the findings of biology, the findings of fossils and and uh, the, the the things you you the, it should be possible to describe them in terms of an evolutionary theory as science does today or or as, as is established in in science but it should also in the same way be possible to describe it uh, through theos, theories of supernatural creation or If we go back to the Big Bang, we can describe the Big Bang using the theories we have right now. With um, we will go into some of it in the in a later episode, where we go uh, about um, the Big Bang and the expansion of the universe, and then the inflation inflationary period, and so on. We can t describe it in this way with its uh, 13 billion years of expansion and so on. We this can describe it in this way, but we can also find a description of it which is uh, more in a supernatural creational way, which also describes exactly the same data. So this was the abstract to the article I wrote. So if it catched your interest, I really recommend it to you. So go to scifave.substack.com and there you can read the article in full. Episode 62, the Physics Nobel Prize 2023 and lasers. So 2023 was also a year in which, of course, the Physics Nobel Prize was uh, awarded. And in this year, it was awarded to three physicists. And they were Anne Lullier, I guess it is pronounced, I don't know, uh, of the University of Lund, Pierre Agostini of the University of Ohio, Ohio State University in Columbus, and Ferenc Cross of the Univer Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich. So they uh, were awarded the Nobel Prize for their uh, their research on attosecond light pulses, which is a pretty interesting topic, pretty groundbreaking research. Um, which um, so attoseconds, it's a really really small um, number, so. Just to illustrate 
this, uh, you might know um, Milli, you might even know Micro and Nano. So this, those are steps you can go to show how small a thing is. So uh, Milli is, for example, uh, an, a thousandth, and then it goes in thousand steps. So Micro would be a millionth, and then Nano is a billionth. And this way it continues. Afterwards, there's Pico, and then there's Fremto, and then there's Atto. So Atto is is a really small amount and it is uh, really um, difficult to get so uh, to such a small um, layer uh, for once because it, this is the 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 level at which atoms uh, move in uh, electrons move in atoms so it's a really really short period and it used to be not accessible by by light or by lasers and but before we describe how they did it how how they made this possible i think it's best to first explain how a laser work works and and what what a laser actually is so let us explain, uh, talk a little bit about lasers. So first, what does lasers stand for? Lasers sound, sounds cool, the word, but where does this word come from? And actually, laser is an abbreviation. So if you write it out, it stands for light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. So this is what laser stands for. But what does this mean? So now we know what the abbreviation means, but maybe we are we are not the, the, the smarter unless you really know about the physical concepts behind it. So first, uh, let's we, we start by explaining first the latter part, the part of stimulated emission of radiation. So for this, we need to go back to physics class and remember, or even, even chemistry class, uh, remember what, what we learned there. So we learned that uh, matter is basically made up of atoms and atoms itself are not the, the the smallest part yet they are themselves made up of uh, protons neutrons in in their nucleus and uh, electrons in in levels around those and they can have certain states they can be in a crown state either, or they can be in upper states depending on how much energy they have so i think most of you should know this back from from school that there are those different layers in which the elec uh, or, or orbitals in which the electrons can be, and what then happens is that they can jump from one layer to another. If they absorb energy, they can go to a higher level, and if they if they give, if they give this energy back, back, they they can jump to a lower level. And of course, electrons or everything is in nature is always uh, trying to reduce the amount of energy or it needs for something. So it generally tends to go to the ground state, to the lowest state uh, of energy. But there are simple rules that so for example if you have an atom with more than uh, just one or two electrons like uh, hydrogen which only has one electron but if you have like uh, carbon uh, it has more more than that so if you have those then then there are uh, uh, there are physics rules about what is allowed for example you cannot have two particles in the same energetic level so this is this is just forbidden by it's that uh, this is the reason for this is that particles are uh, matter particles are fermions and fermions uh, have this uh, for fermions the Pauli exclusion uh, principle holds, which basically states that that they that two particles cannot uh, be in the same energetic state. Um, they so they have to be different in so-called quantum numbers, and they can 
be so actually two can be in kind of the same energetic states because they have their own property spin called spin and if they uh, are different in this property they can uh, be in the same energetic state but uh, with uh, reversed spins so therefore for example if you know from your chemistry or physics class uh, in the in the in the lowest um, in the lowest energy level of the, those atoms, there were always two electrons that could fit in there. And this is exactly the reason for it. They they uh, differ in their spins and therefore they can be there. As you might know, in the, in the upper layers, usually there were eight who could fit in there. And this is for different reasons because there are different uh, particle numbers that they can obtain. They can have their own um, angular momentum and they can, they can have different levels there. So there is more possibilities of different energy levels in those areas so i hope this was not too complex but this is basically the atomic model uh, you learned in school I, i guess and now we want to describe this further because now the question is if one what can always happen for example is that one electron uh, by some energy that it absorbs can get to an higher to an excited state which we call it so it can go from a lower level to a higher level by some excitation usually using photons or light particles and now let's assume we have such an atom where the electron is in, in an excited state And now uh, the electron decides, let's say, uh, to, to go back to the ground state. So what it does is it goes back to the ground state, but now we know uh, energy is conserved in physics always. Energy has to be conserved. So how can this be that it goes to this ground state? Because the ground state is less energetic than the, the excited state. So where does this energy go? It has to be released in some way, right? And the way which this is released is by uh, release uh, by by is giving off light giving off a photon li a light particle and this can happen uh, you can happen spontaneously as we just described but it can also happen stimulatedly but this we will uh, describe in a bit so it will give up the, uh, give off this light and now you know that um, from quantum mechanics we know that these atomic levels we have there they are quantized so there are they are at a specific energy level. This is not a spectrum where there's a continuous amount of levels. They are at specific energy levels. So it is a specific amount of energy that it takes from one atomic level to the lower atomic level. So there's a specific amount of energy. And now, if you know of the photoelectric effect, you know that energy for light because light light is emitted when an electron jumps from one level to another uh, to a lower level so light uh, the energy of light is is um, is uh, proportional to its frequency so if you have high energetic light then it will have a high frequency if you have low energetic light it will have a low frequency so and and the, the different frequencies of light you can um, see as different colors so if it's in the visible spectrum so the the, the colors of light uh, are, have different frequencies so red uh, light has a lower frequency and blue and violet light has a higher frequency and therefore you know also infrared is in the area of frequencies lower than what we can see of light of frequencies lower that we can see and ultraviolet light is in the frequency spectrum of frequencies higher than is visible to our eyes 
So this is the way it works. And therefore, each atom has with its individual um, levels of energy differences between the, its atomic layers has also individual um, photons of light that it emits when it jumps from one level to another. So there is a, a spectrum for each atom of, of these differences in light. So uh, where, where, where these, these difference in energy can... Um, Correspondence uh, corresponds to a certain photon that is emitted, and this has a certain frequency. And so you have, uh, in this way, you have a light spectrum for every um, every atom. And this is really, um, really um, important. For example, also in astronomic astronomic observations, when we uh, see the light that we uh, observe from other stars or from other objects, then we know we can know which. Um, elements they are made of because we know ah this is the light of this and that uh, part for example we know it is this light comes from uh, is is from the energy level of, of hydrogen and so we know that it was uh, originally emitted from an hydro hydrogen atom but this was a, a big uh, now we a bit a little bit lost track but i think it was really uh, good to understand this because now we know how how um, light is emitted from from an atom The problem with spontaneous, what we now described spontaneous emission is, if an electron spontaneously decides to emit radiation, then the direction in which it is emitted is completely random. So there is no way of foretelling in which direction the light will be emitted. It will just be any direction. So this is, in a laser, this is really not what we want. We wanted to have a certain direction such that we can use this light to point it somewhere. Therefore, we need to find another way of uh, getting this light to be emitted. And there, luckily, is the effect of stimulated emission. And this is uh, um, also happens with atoms. And this is happening, let's say we have an, an atom in an excited state. And there is, is, a, is a photon coming towards it. And instead of the electron absorbing it and jumping to an even higher energetic level, it uh, is triggered by this uh, photon to jump to a lower level and emit radiation. Emit uh, like, like if it would spontaneously em emit radiation, but this way it is induced by this other, other photon. And in this case, we get this effect that the photon that the electron will then emit will point in the same direction as the photon that induced this uh, emission. And this is uh, what we mean in uh, what the SIR part of the laser is, the stimulated emission of radiation. So what happens in a laser is that um, what specifically happens, uh, we will see in a bit, but uh, they, there are these um, emissions stimulated by photons and then they move in the same direction. So what is now missing is the light amplification. So we don't on, not only want to stimulate emissions uh, of individual photons, uh, we want to have a lot of light. We want to have, I mean, lasers usually uh, have a lot of light that they emit, not only individual photons, uh, which would be nothing because uh, it would just be too, too few uh, photons to use uh, for us. Especially if you have, have those high-powered lasers who can even uh, uh, cut to m through materials and so on. Um, but uh, so, so we need an amplification of this light. You want to have a lot of this light. And how do we um, achieve this? 
This is achieved by a so-called process called population inversion. So basically, as we have said, an atoms or electrons always want to be in the lowest state. So they always jump from the highest to the lowest states in order to reduce the energy they, they need. So this we want to turn around. We want to Inver uh, turn invert this population basically the population of the electrons in the atom and this is done through a pump mechanism which enforces this population inversion and uh, this works for example that this uh, by, by absorption of photons which always pulls the electrons in higher higher levels higher energy levels and uh, then they jump back to a lower state and there you get always the stimulated emission of radiation but uh, there is not what is not usually used is a two or uh, is a two level system where you have the ground state and an excited state because it is it, it can be shown that in this way a population inversion version cannot be upheld and therefore usually a three or four level scheme is used where you uh, excite the um in a three-level uh, state, for example, uh, scheme, uh, you, for example, you excite the particle from the ground state to a higher excited state, from which it then decays into a lower state, which is but is not the ground state. So there you have these three levels, and this way you can hold up such a population inversion. And uh, this is usually how you get this laser to work. That you have it, you have it overly populate a, an excited uh, atomic state uh, energy state and from this you uh, stimulate the emission to this uh, uh, of photons to this lower state which is not a ground state in this three uh, level scheme and this light is then um, emitted and what happens to the light we come to later but now i want to shortly interpret this in a spiritual way because i think this shows us also something for the spiritual way a uh, life or for our life in 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 the spirit for our life with christ uh, because it, it shows that uh, i mean if you think about it everything going to the lowest energy everything always trying to reduce its energy to reduce its amount it's kind of the way the world works it's kind of how we see everything uh, kind of also if you look into the law of inertia everything seems to be inert seems to be uh, trying to uh, move as little as possible i mean it's physically not completely right I, i get it it's if something is pretty fast it tries to stay that fast of course but you you have in it this uh, if you also know it from what you would talk to people around if you talk of somebody who is a nerd then it's it's somebody who's really not getting to move and really not get, getting things going and uh, which is considered to be a negative thing of course you can interpret physics always in two directions but if you would interpret it in this way then you can also see that this this population inversion is something which tries to turn this around tries to turn us against this uh, uh, the, the, this way of the world the way the world works to to always uh, yeah be, be inert to, to, to just go along to just uh, go the, the easiest way go the, 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 the way with the least resistance and so on so 
I think what the Spirit wants us and what God wants us to to be if, with being part of this new creation, He wants to invert this population. He wants to invert us in such a way that we don't go with the with the way of the least resistance, the way of least least effort, the easiest way uh, in in a negative way. Of course, He does not want us to work harder than we have to to do uh, stupid efforts, which could be achieved in an easier way. He wants to us to work smart and to do to act smartly but he does not want us to go this way where we we abstain from effort where we we try to go the easiest way and in 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 which as you have some experience later realize which is actually the way of 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 most effort of most uh, uh, fighting and so on because in the long run it will get you more effort because uh, you have been lazy before so this is uh, and this is thing i think what he wants to tell us and uh, tell us and i And there you see it also with the laser. There is a pump mechanism, and this pump mechanism this delivers the energy. It it excites these particles to this higher state. It delivers the energy for these particles to go to this higher state and to populate this higher state and stay in this higher state. So there it is, of course, also so that you don't need to make this effort yourself. You you as the electron in this picture do not need to pull your up uh, self up from your bootstrap but uh, you are uh, pulled there by the power of god by the power of this pump mechanism which in this image would be the power of god so this is uh, what you can see there and also if you look at a big biblical you always see that god wants us to be in the high places above everything in the he, in ephesians it says that we are placed in heavenly places so where we are above all these worldly things and i think this is also what what um what this shows us is that that he wants us to be in the higher energetic ways where we have the where we are high, highly energetic where we are not uh, in in the crown state and moved around by 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 the ways of this world but where where we are above the those things we are where we are uh, not not in the sense that we are something better but in a sense that we uh, are um transferred into his kingdom and where we are up um where we are concerned with his kingdom and not the ways of, of this natural world. So I think this is a pretty powerful picture in the spirit way where it shows that, um, that what what he wants to do be us and if you think this uh, if you think this image further you also see what happens if this occurs what happens light is emitted. So uh, I mean light is emitted okay okay it, the, the electrons then go to a lower state this is maybe not part of the picture but light is emitted so we become the light of the world by being in this excited state by being in this high state by letting our population inver be inverted we become the light we become the light of the world as Jesus says it and and we become alive to those who are not yet in this position who are not yet uh, aware of this this possibility who are not yet living in the power of God and therefore are in this excited state so i think this is a pretty powerful picture for for what God wants to do with us and where he wants us to live so to continue with the laser What happens afterwards uh, when this all this light is emitted? Then they come into uh, resonators um, to to get them to uh, a unified frequency. As I said, they have uh, one uh, frequency, but they are still can by by different radiation. So if the if some electrons do not use the three level scheme, but uh, still jump to another energy level and so on, which can all happen. Then you have a lot of uh, noise in there, and you want to get rid of that. 
and uh, this you do by resonators. This is basically two uh, mirrors who are opposite to each other and they are positioned in such a distance that when they are reflected and reflected and re reflected that everything but the frequency that you want to have uh, obtained will be cancelled out by interference effects. And in this way you have two mirrors but you Of course, you don't want the light to just uh, bang and bang around between those mirrors until uh, the frequency is clean, but they just jumping around between the mirrors and nothing else happens. No, of course, the light has to come out at some place. So therefore, the one of those mirrors is not completely um, reflecting, but to something like 99%. And so 1% of the light that is uh, in this way uh, put into a unified frequency will get out and come out of the laser. So this is the basic working of the laser. So uh, I hope you could understand it in, in, in some aspect. So if not, then feel free to ask a question after this podcast episode. And what a problem with this is, is that this is on the area of femtoseconds. So uh, uh, one swing of, of a, one... Um, period of light is already on the area of femtoseconds so it's it's too long to achieve um attoseconds which they achieved in their um in their nobel prize winning research so what did they do so what they did is they uh, radiated laser on matter And as with the guitar, where you have, uh, if you let uh, something resonate, you have these uh, harmonics that occur, uh, or if you have, uh, the, the, they are in their frequency a lot of shorter than than the original tone that you 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 uh, got, and. In the same way, this happens if you put these laser pulses on matter, and there there are shor shorter frequencies uh, reflected or, or coming out of this this matter, and this uh, allowed to achieve attosecond pulses. So this is really pretty simplified, but I think that was the concept behind it. And today they even managed to get laser pulses as short as 50 attoseconds, which is really, really short. Just to illustrate this, uh, in this time, light, which has, as we know, the highest speed, the light speed is the, the, the speed limit, basically, of the universe. And in this time, in 50 attoseconds, the, the, the light with the highest speed uh, uh, walks or walks or travels uh, a little bit more than the diameter of our DNA. And our DNA is 15, 15 nanometers uh, is the diameter of our DNA. So it's it's really, really small. And so it, this this uh, 50 attoseconds uh, is really, really short. And this shows how much of an achievement this is. And this is um, really groundbreaking research. It has uh, is assumed to have a lot of technical applications, but it's also for research a really, really, a breakthrough because it allows um, a lot of things to be researched and uh, therefore therefore especially in uh, regarding reactions chemical reactions and so forth because uh, everything that happens there happens on these time scales so this was a really break groundbreaking research and therefore uh, the, the Nobel Prize was uh, well deserved and uh, 
I hope you could understand to some degree what uh, what this was about and and what uh, really was achieved there. All right, I think it's time for a short break. So before we continue, just make me let a, some short uh, announcements. Um, if you uh, want to know more about SciFave, I really encourage you to go to my website, sci-fave.de slash en. There you can find out more about this podcast, about my book and ab about my blog. So you can read my blog. All the articles are also now in English, so you can read all of them. Also the article, which I've described in the first episode. And you can also learn more about my book which is now available in English so I really encourage you to get it as an ebook and, and read it because there really much about what we are talking about is really discussed in a, in a deeper way and you will understand I think a lot more of what I'm talking about if you really have grasped those concepts. Uh, also there is a new book out, my latest novel or my first novel also uh, Alien Thoughts. You can get it on, on Amazon as an ebook and I really encourage you to read it. It's really uh, exciting. I have gotten a lot of feedbacks. People really like it and so I re really hope you read it and also give it a five star rating because this always helps people to Uh, to know what the book is to to understand if it is something for them and really if you have the time I really ask you to write a review of it such that people really can know um, what the book is about know if it's something for them and so more reader readers can get aware of of this book and can get to enjoy it it also of course All, all this also supports me in my work also on this podcast. It gives me more flexibility produce, to do, produce new episodes. So I really am hoping for your support. Also, if you have ideas or requests or something that you want to have covered in this podcast, feel free to contact me at sci-faith.de slash en and then use the contact form. There you can also subscribe to the newsletter where you will get some uh, sp uh, special materials. So uh, newsletter in the newsletter, I write some of, of the thoughts that are usually not fit for blog posts, but still very interesting topics. So if you want to uh, get this or get news, what happens, happens at SciFave, what's new, what's up, then you will get the latest news, you will really get there and then I really encourage you to subscribe to my Substack. With that being said, let's continue to the episode. Episode 15, Darwin's Mistake and the Theocity Question. Recently, I read a book. Um, it was, or last year it was, uh, that I read a book. It was actually in the beginning of the last year, so it's been a while. But um, I, I read this book uh, by a historian, Tom Holland, so not an actor. There's a historian who is named the same. And he wrote about... Um, about uh, basically about Christian history. The book is called Dominion and it is really about uh, Christianity from a 
its emergence to now has how it has shaped culture, how it has uh, participated in creating especially what is now called Western culture and the effects it had and how profound those were. And this is really an interesting book. If you are a believer or an unbeliever, it is really an interesting book. Uh, Tom Holland himself, I believe, is not a believer in the sense that he really uh, has a relationship to, to, to Jesus. I, I don't know myself. He only knows that, but, but that's the, the idea you're getting from the book. But he has an appreciation of uh, the effect Christianity has on, on, on um, culture and on, 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 on the on world history. So if you're really interested in this, uh, he has also a podcast, The Rest is History, where he with an other historian, Dominic Sandbrook, talks about uh, uh, these uh, topics, not, not only about these topics, they po talk about history in general, but he oftentimes brings in uh, the, the effect Christianity, ha Christianity has had on our uh, on world history. And it's really interesting, but it's also interesting to read a book because there it re he really dives in deep into it and where you see how how they, how many things were really accepted, uh, affected by uh, Christianity. And he covers the uh, certain areas also. He covers uh, all, all of the Middle Ages, all of the time afterwards, the Renaissance, the Reformation, and also the, the, the modernity. And... He comes also to the time where science came up, where the scientific revolution came up, and there he also covers, uh, of course, uh, Darwin and his theory of evolution, and how Darwin, as somebody who was believing in the beginning, more and more lost his faith, and how he argued about losing his faith and if you read it in this context of this book in the context of the history he describes before in i think you you uh, you realize some some mistake in my opinion uh, darwin made uh, in his conclusions because um uh, tom holland starts this by really describing almost to at the same time or before sometime before uh, what happened what he also credits uh, christianity to is uh, the abolition of slavery so what he writes there is um, when the, the the colonization took place and the the new world was discovered and colonized of course um, there was uh, this one clergyman or i think actually he was a quaker um, he was Benjamin de la Casas, or no, Bartholomew de la Casas was his name, and he was the first one who was really critical about slavery and ab about the conditions in which the slaves were held in um, in in, the, in these uh, colonies, and who uh, really was the first who came up with this idea of uh, being created equal before God and that this also holds of course to the slaves that they were holding. And uh, over the time it led to slavery uh, or the slave trade being abolished and this was uh, done by uh, the British Empire which at this time uh, was really the world dominating force. Uh, it, was, uh, it had the greatest navy so it was ruling the seas and uh, therefore it was not only saying, okay, we won't uh, uh, trade slaves anymore, which was accomplished uh, by William Wilberforce, also a Christian who uh, managed to get this through the, the British Congress at this time. And, um, uh, but but uh, 
this was achieved by the British, but they of course said, okay, if we are not uh, trading slaves, we won't allow the others to have the same benefit because that's that's bad for business, of course. Uh, but also they though did not say it like that, but uh, they also had a spiritual reasoning behind it. Whether this was honest or not, you can argue yourself, but still they forced other uh, nations and other cultures to abolish the slave trade also. And one of these cultures, which uh, also was trading slave and never in their own religion had uh, seemingly any con saw any contradictions to it up to that point, was the, the Muslim culture. And they... Um, The, the British basically uh, enforced upon the Muslims to uh, uh, to uh, abolish the, the slave trade in, in their nations. Uh, this is how uh, Tom Holland writes it, uh, at least, or that, that, that's the impression you get. And um, he also writes that they themselves then uh, um, argued using this when, when they were forced to do it like that, they argued that they did it also because their laws basically implied it, that they lost, their laws also implied that uh, slavery is wrong and so on and so on. So whatever you believe, you can argue about whether this is true or not, but from the historic evidence uh, this historian presents, it seems pretty uh, believable to me. Uh, but what it really shows, and I think what really was the case, is that through this um, through this uh, statements and through the, the, the world uh, powers, the Christianly do dominated world powers, arguing in such a way that is basically natural law that every man is created equal and so on, that they are, were arguing from those are laws of nature and not uh, laws of our religion, but they were arguing those are laws of nature and you need to uh, oblige you. They did not come to this, uh, the, these countries that were not uh, Christian and say, you have to do it because our God says so, but they came to them uh, saying, you have to do it because the laws of nature are saying so, because otherwise they could not argue this way, because what do other religions care about what your God is saying, basically? that's So, so they needed to have a different argument and the argument was the laws of nature uh, say so and whether this is right or wrong I mean there were different I mean he goes also in it would lead to much but he goes also in on the Marquis de Sade who had a really different idea what the laws of nature are saying and if you look at it from a Christian perspective you might also come to a different conclusion uh, as we see later Um But uh, this was the mindset that was created in this time, that the laws of nature are basically saying slavery is wrong and so on. All these, uh, everyone is created equal and so on and so on. Uh, and uh, this was the mindset with which I assume Darwin looked at the world because this was the, the time, this was the society, uh, this was the culture that he lived in. And when he then uh, came to his theory of evolution and uh, lost his uh, faith uh, with time, there was one thing he sensed, said what led to him to reject God. And there he said, I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designedly created the Ich Neumonie there uh, with the express intention of their feeding within the living bodies of caterpillars. So this animal, which I had tr uh, trouble to pronounce, <laughs> is uh, apparently is living 
inside the bodies of uh, caterpillars kind of like a, a parasite and I'm not sure if it's eating him from the inside out or something else but it's apparently something really bad for the, this animal it's like, like parasites basically he says to to generalize it he cannot believe in a beneficent and omnipotent god if if who that he would designedly create a world in which uh, there are some things like parasites and this i think comes from his conviction which he grew, grew up with that the natural law basically states yeah everyone is created equal and we we are all and so on we are all have all worth and so on which as a christian would say is true but a christian would also acknowledge that we are living in a fallen creation so Uh, the the Christians always dis distinguish between the nature before the fall and afterwards. And after the fall, uh, something in creation itself was falling. Uh, animals are eating each other, uh, humans fighting each other. A lot of horrible things are happening in this world. And this is not attribu attributed to a God who wanted it to be like this, but it is attributed to Uh, the fall into sin, which came according to the biblical story by Adam, and which has since then been in this world and uh, perverted this uh, wonderful creation by God. So, and and I think there's this mistake Darwin did. This is uh, um, you can see it clearly. I think if you read the book that he assumed something to be true, which was not true without God himself. So what basically the, the, the British people, when they enforced the abolition of the slave trade on the other nations did, they, they argued with, spirit, uh, with uh, divine um, revelations, but without God himself, without a God behind it. They said it has to be like this by nature and not because this is how God wanted the creation to be or the, the destined creation to be. And so they they in 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 essence they took out the fall of it and then when Darwin looked at nature as it is in in biology in in the animal kingdom and so on uh, when he looked at this as it really is he said yeah but this is in stark contrast to what i have learned it is supposed to be and since the when it was uh, pushed on, on others to treat everyone equally it um uh, it was basically taking uh, god was basically kind of taken out of the equation in, in order to make the argument for those who did not believe in this God. Um, in, since this was happening, you, he could not really see that there are, is a difference, that there has been a fall which led to this nature as it is to not be as it is supposed to be. And I think this was the mistake that he made and um, what basically led to him losing his faith and rejecting God and uh, I think this is clearly seen uh, if one looks at it in this historical context. What Darwin is saying in the statement is uh, basically the theosity question. This is uh, very much discussed. It, uh, if you Usually if you argue with an atheist, uh, at some point it will, won't be about, yeah, science says uh, this and that and therefore I cannot believe in a God. Uh, It's rather something, how could a beneficent and omnipotent God allow such and such? And then they refer to something like suffering and so on uh, uh, that 
unfortunately is existing in this world. And as we already mentioned, the answer to this and the answer to the theosity question almost always is the, 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 the case that there is a fallen nature, a fallen creation, and which which explains why suffering is in this world because uh, of course there are cases in which this uh, cor correlation or this um, causation is not that clear or seems to be not there but uh, still one can usually explain it in these terms but you the problem oftentimes is uh, that you cannot explain it directly from one point to the other for example there is this uh, story in in the in the in the um, Gospels, where the, the disciples of Jesus ask Jesus about a, a blind man, and they ask uh, who has who in their family, uh, or he, he was born blind, and they ask who has sinned that he has gotten this blindness. So was it his parents, and why did he then obtain it, or because he was born blind, he could not have been it, and so and and Jesus rejects that idea, and he says, okay, the, 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 this is not. More or less, uh, uh, he says that there's not this direct causation necessarily, but uh, this is uh, leads to something else. But uh, I think oftentimes, and that's my perception of it, uh, asking this uh, theosity question also is um, kind of uh, neglecting responsibility for own actions because if this uh, what what we are talking about the fall nature is that we are basically saying, hey, we brought this upon ourselves by sinning, by not acting according to God's will, according to the purposes that God had for us, we brought all this pain and suffering on ourselves. And therefore, uh, this is not done by God. It's not that God uh, 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 creates the world in this way uh, because he's some sadist or something. No, it's because we have... Uh, deviated from what he had intended for us and this way uh, this pain and suffering came into his world which is not from him but from the enemy and the bible is really clear on this and therefore i think it's oftentimes asking this question to me it's oftentimes neglecting responsibility and there's an um in a really good uh, novel I recently read that makes this pretty clear. It's the um, from Dostoevsky. It's uh, called um, The Brothers Karamazov. It's really a, a powerful uh, novel. I really encourage you to read it. So it's a little bit long, about a thousand pages or a little bit more than that even. So, uh, But it's really worth it because he covers a lot of topics in there. And among others, he covers this uh, theosity question. And in this book, there is... Um, There are uh, three brothers and they uh, he describes the lives of them, the, the opinions of them. One of them is Alyosha Karamazov and he is, uh, in the beginning he is a monk and uh, all through the book he, he is a believer in, in Christ and in contrast to him there is there is a different brother Ivan Karamazov who believes in God but who re still rejects God because of these things because he believes that a God who is a, a just God could not allow uh, for such uh, suffering to be in this world or that he does not accept the justice of such a God. 
And there is a, a, a dialogue between um, Ayosha Karamasov and Ivan Karamasov in which they discuss these topics. And uh, uh, Ivan Karamasov brings a lot of examples and, and uh, anecdotes towards this. And he tells uh, of uh, cruel histories that occurred then. So you have to remember this uh, was at a time in um, in in russia in the in the russian empire and there this was a time where serfdom was still existent and it was not still existent in when the book is written it was just recently abolished but the the remembrance of of this time is still there and the stories out of these times are still there And uh, Ivan Karamazov, for example, tells of one story where uh, one uh, landlord is is really uh, mean or really evil to 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 the child of of some uh, of his uh, servants, and uh, and and he describes it then as how could could a, a god allow uh, allowed it, but uh, what what I think comes pretty clearly out of this story, at least to me, is. Uh, where's the father in this? Where's the father of this child? Where's the mother of this child? I, I mean, they are mentioned there, but but they are basically standing by and and watching as, as it happens and allowing it to happen. And and there there you can already see uh, the the neglected uh, responsibility because even I mean. It might be coming from a high horse for someone who never lived under the circumstances, but still, I mean, there would be as a as a father or as a parent of a child where no matter who attacks it, there should be this responsibility to say, no, you can't do that. No, that's my child. You you have first have to pass me. That's at least what I think a, a parent is supposed to do in this situation. And, and there you already see a, as cruel as the story is, as cruel as the behavior of this landlord must have been, there is still the neglected responsibility of those who were responsible for this child. And I think if you if you look into this you see uh, that that mostly in uh, when when we ask this question it points to us uh, pushing a responsibility actually that is up to us towards god that uh, if you if you for example if you if you look at it in another way where you say okay what would be the perfect solution then would it be that what no matter what is, would it be that there's absolutely no suffering in this world i mean that would be perfect you would guess but it would also mean that whatever we do no uh, no uh, there, there could not be no uh, suffering so wh however hurtful we were to other humans however uh, evil we were to others it would be not lead to any uh, any any suffering anything that um might hint at uh at something going wrong or something i mean uh, it, it i think if you logically try to think it th through you might you, you should come to a conclusion that that this would also not be just or could not be just and it would something where we either are prevented for doing uh, from doing what we uh, uh, from having free will or where we can do what we want and it just has no effect so we Should, would also have basically no free will because whatever we do, it won't have any effect. So where's the free will in that? So if you just make these two statements that a God creates uh, humans who have free will, then it is uh, there, there needs to be the responsibility to um, 
uh, to go against suffering and so on, it needs to be on us and not on, on God himself. And therefore, uh, if you also look further into the gospel accounts and into uh, really what Jesus did at the cross, then you see that God himself really did everything to alleviate uh, this, did everything he possibly could to free us uh, from this uh, state, to free us out from the state which we brought upon ourselves by becoming man and by doing the uh, by carrying all this for us at the cross and uh, and delivering us uh, from it so uh, if you really look into it you see there was uh, in the first place it was on us it is our responsibility and in the second state you see that he still took as far as it was possible the responsibility on him by dying for us at the cross and freeing us from this uh, sinful nature so to answer the theosity question is to say yeah it is uh, actually it is our responsibility and not his but he al already has taken up our responsibility and f and delivered us from it so Of course, if you look then closer, you will s still see there is still suffering in this world. Unfortunately, there is still injustice in this world, and there, uh, where you also not always can understand, as I said, the direct causation of this, where you don't understand why does this person have to suffer, suffer where others who been way worse uh, don't have to. And I think in this context, you really have to make this leap of faith, where you really say, okay, but. I can can I believe that God's justice is greater than what I can imagine? Can I believe that in the grand scheme of things beyond this life, beyond this world, uh, in the eternal world in which God is living, that there is still justice coming to be, that that uh, the complete justice of God will be uh, really fulfilled there. And I think this faith, uh, I can have this faith and I can say even if I really don't understand what uh, uh, everything that happens really don't understand uh, every suffering that occurs i really can have faith that in the grand scheme of things god will bring everything to it uh, to to justice and uh, have uh, faith in in that and also one more thing to to state is there that if you are in such a discussion where this question comes up i mean What I was answering, I was answering it in a pretty logical way, which is not always the solution or is seldom the solution because this question usually, as you can easily imagine, is not a question of explain to me logically why this occurs, but usually it's an emotional question because if you ask why is suffering in this world, why can God allow this, this is usually referred to something personal that you experienced, personal suffering or a loss of a person uh, that you seem think to uh, was unjust or something like that. And therefore it's an emotional question which can only answered emotionally and not in a logical way which would uh, seem in in most cases i guess insulting to that person understandably so so if you are in such a discussion maybe don't come with that logic but instead come with empathy and really uh, uh, if you are yourself in such a situation where you ask yourself questions where you ask yourself how how god how can you allow such things to happen then really make the step of saying okay i don't know everything If you, you, I think you have to have this humility and I know that you are God and that you are greater than me and that your ways are greater than mine and that even if I don't understand it, that your ways are perfect and 
please reveal yourself to me, self to me then uh, if you have this posture i think it will be a lot of uh, a lot easier to deal with these questions and i think uh, you will also get then answers for yourselves maybe not answers who can be logically conclusive in all ways but answers you can live with and answers you can accept for yourself and that will help you to uh, continue on Episode 16. Eternal Inflation and the Limits of Science. So, what is meant by inflation? Uh, if you hear the term these days, you usually connect it to economics, to um, the, the increasing prices also that we are currently experiencing, unfortunately. But in physics, you need something different than that. So what what is meant by inflation in physics, I mean, it's a similar concept, but uh, what you mean by this is the extremely fast expansion of the universe in the, in, in the Big Bang. So there was a period... It is assumed today, so there's no clear evidence for it or no conclusive evidence of it, uh, where the universe was expandingly in an extreme fast way, in extreme rapidly, faster than a speed of light in some cases. And um, this is believed to have happened in some uh, state of our universe. And the reason why this is believed is because uh, the universe appears to be more ordered than it should be be or uh, under a usual expansion in the time span of uh, 13.8 billion years that we assume now is the age of our universe. So this is the reason why we believe that such an infl inflationary phase took place. And um, there are certain uh, parameters, certain yeah, par parameters of these theories, uh, in which uh, which you can twist and uh, where where you can say where you can get a prediction that uh, a that a universe repeats itself basically, and uh, what happens there is that the Big Bang in this case was not the actual beginning of the world it was only the beginning of our universe so in this case there was a universe before the big bang and this kind of crushed into so i guess this is how it is expanded it kind of fall into itself into one point and from this one point the big bang ha happened and our universe was created and therefore there's always this uh, creation and any uh, and uh, annihilation or crunching back of the universe and uh, there are repeating cycles in which universes uh, come to place and uh, um, are removed again so this uh, solves not only this uh, problem of uh, of our, our highly ordered universe uh, other than it is expected uh, from from other estimations but it also uh, uh, solves another problem in science and that's the fine-tuning problem and this is the same case 
I mean, if you look at at this whole, uh, it is really similar to what we discussed in some episodes before of the many worlds or uh, of multiverse. Uh, multiverse. There's also in string theory. There's also the concept of multiverses coming up. So uh, this is a pretty common concept. And if you if you look uh, at this uh, concept that is discussed there or that's currently really popular in science or among scientists there, it is basically the same thing. Just uh, uh, not at the same time so where in general when you're talking about multiverses you say uh, there are million different uh, universes next to ours at the same time in the same I mean you cannot say in, at the same time because each universe would have its own time standard so it doesn't really make sense to talk about it but you do not still assume that it kind of has a time synchronicity but in this case here you have there was this universe it crunched into a, a point and from the big bang came our universe so the, you have a sequence of uh, of universes and the the whole sequence you could describe then as this multiverse um but still there is this fact of multiverses and what is uh, philosophically interesting of on multiverses is that it solves this fine-tuning problem because the fine-tuning problem is this question of uh, how can it be that uh, parameters in our university, uh, universe are so perfectly tuned to allow for human life. I mean, I, I made an episode on this. I, I, I think I, I made it on a German podcast, but if you want to hear more about it there is a blog post about a fine-tuning problem on on my substack also in english so you can read it there and there it is about this really nice feature of our universe that seems to be really nicely tuned for us to experience life to be alive to uh, to allow for life for example there is this weird feature that uh, at the energy levels which we discussed in previous episodes of carbon they have uh, they are at a certain point which is uh, just if you put in the calculations and compute it it's just okay some number that comes out you don't see any causation you don't see anything why this number has to be it it's just an 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 result that you get which is basically pretty random but if you uh, if you look uh, uh, continue to look at it and see what really is needed to to have life then you see that carbon really needs to have an energy level like this for life to uh, to be able to exist so this is a pretty pretty interesting uh, to see how finely tuned our universe is to allow for life uh, but uh, This question is that the question is then how is that? How can it be? How can we explain it? How? And one solution to this, of course, is to say, yeah, well, there's not only our universe, but there are dozens, bajillion, many different universes that exist. And if you have uh, randomly generated so many universes, chances are that in one universe, it will all fit perfectly well. So for one thing, this would take extraordinary many worlds or universes for this to make uh, to work. But um, there's in general no limit to how many worlds there can be. But I think what it shows is that, I mean, in some degree, it really works at the limits of science and at, in, in the area of faith already. So uh, many times I heard this argument made by uh, 
believers who say, yeah, they believe uh, the scientists say it's some multiverse that is responsible for this fine tuning problem or, or that solves this fine tuning problem. And this is basically the same as believing in a God who created the world such that it perfectly fits. And this is really true to some degree, but the counterpoint many scientists have brought, which also has some truth to it, is, yeah, that might be, but there is... Um, there is really evidence for these multiverses. Of course, this evidence is already interpreted. So you have these facts and you interpret it in, in such a way and then you get these multiverses. But there is still a correlation of the real theory and where you can really see how multiverses would come out of it kind of naturally, but it really is not baked into the equation. So I would say it's maybe something between but it's also if if you have uh, listened to the episodes before about interpretations and there uh, it's also clear that the interpretation for example the deterministic interpretations of quantum mechanics they come because that's the worldview many of those who have these uh, theories have so the interpretations we get from our physical theories are closer to multiverses because that's the interpretation many of the, the scientists who bring forth these uh, theories um prefer that's also the argument you can bring so i think there's still a valid case to be made that this is the area of faith and not any more of science and that just as well as you can believe there's a god who made uh, created a perfect universe such that everything fits and life can uh, can be uh, grow there perfectly uh, just as as well you can uh, make the case that there are multiverses who account for this uh, fine-tuning problem okay But uh, what I think is really the case here is that this is already or what you what what begins to happen here is that we are going beyond the realm of science, beyond the scope of in which science is defined, which is in the scientific method. So everything that can be uh, uh, proven using the scientific method and the scientific method uh, For some, they say everything. there's nothing else but what science can show. So nothing else but what can the scientific method can show. Um, but this itself is a statement that cannot be uh, established scientifically. You cannot show that this is true. And therefore, this statement itself contradicts itself. So it's it cannot really be true. So there has to be something more than science. There has to be something beyond the scope of science, something beyond the limits of science. And many don't believe that, especially in science. But uh, that's the problem because then you really don't realize once you have gone beyond the limits of science. And I think uh, there are certainly limits of science. And I think, uh, uh, for example, Feynman already saw uh, cosmology as not really scientific because it was for him beyond these limits. And at his time, this was really true because there were no experiments that could be made confirming cosmological assumptions and therefore one needed to say yeah that that's not really science that's uh, some other thing uh, but I think even still today we have some measurements we can make some facts we can obtain uh, with which we can uh, make cosmos co uh, can prove cosmological assumptions but still there is really the limit of science in my eyes coming closer and closer and this is really something we need to deal with 
And with that, just as a small caveat, with that, I do not say that science will soon reach its end or something like that. There, we, we will never be at the end of science. We will always find out new things. Uh, many have said that we are closely to the end of science and we will finish soon and studying physics does not make any sense because we are almost finished. Many have said that and right afterwards great, uh, great new uh, uh, fields of uh, science were uh, explored and uh, found. So um, th that's not true and I think it will never be true. But I think it, it, there is an area, there is an uh, area where the scientific method re reaches it, its boundaries, where you cannot go beyond that. And... There, where there is more, uh, and if you don't believe that it, there's more than what we can know scientifically, then you you go into danger to really don't realize when you have gone past that limit, and then you will call things scientific that are n not at all scientific, and and uh, go in in this area. So one example where I think that the limits of of science. Uh, are, are about to be reached is uh, regarding consciousness. I think consciousness itself is not a, 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 a purely scientific process. I think there's a spiritual component to it. And I think this is um, uh, why wh where we reach a boundary where many argue that uh, consciousness is an emergent concept and, and stuff like that, which is already kind of hand-waving of saying, yeah, if you have that much nuance and particles and, and things together, something like consciousness just emerges out of the blue, which you could not see at individual neurons colliding or something like that. Uh, which is really hand-waving. There's no clear equations behind it. It's just saying, yeah, it somehow occurs. It's kind of like in, in this cartoon where where the, the creationist says, yeah, there's some miracle occurs and then there's this universe. Somehow in the same way, uh, many scientists are arguing now and saying, yeah, some emergence stuff occurs and then there's consciousness. So, uh, and this, I think the reason for this is to some degree that it is, of course, not at all understood what consciousness is, but also to some degree that it is, I think, not possible to understand consciousness in a purely scientific way and it is beyond the scope of science itself. And therefore, um, if you try to understand consciousness by purely scientific means, you are deemed to fail. And you will not realize that you are past the boundary of science since you have not, uh, you do not believe that such, such a boundary exists. And then you are deemed to make assumptions or make make your assumptions be scientific. You you say uh, you you make assumptions and you say yeah that this is uh, science says so because you have some evidence to uh, on which you rely on this. And I want to move away from the topic of consciousness because I think in a later episode we will uh, look deeper into this but uh, to go back to cosmology I think there you have the same area where you say okay we have some evidence that uh, something like eternal inflation could occur in our universe and then you say okay if we can prove uh, or if we say internal inflation makes these and these predictions which are nothing at all like hey eternal inflation is happening, but rather like some particles behaving in such and such a way, then some people are arguing, okay, this then proves that eternal inflation is a thing. But on the other hand, it could 
completely be that even with that description that there is an alternative description which uh, says these particles behave in such a way for a completely different reason. And there you see that the, the limits of science are reached there and in this way the interpretation of the scientific facts and the facts themselves are in some way so much a part that you kind of cannot really talk anymore uh, of saying that this interpretation is definitely true because the, the facts are so far from it. But because how would you, you, you could not be really um, certain of uh, something like eternal inflation to have occurred unless you have been there and you could not have possibly been there. So this is, I think, the problem in which uh, modern science is currently running. And I think if we if you read about topics that go in this direction, that go uh, in, in, in such big models about eternal inflation, multiverses, consciousness and so on, uh, really ask yourself, if somebody writes about it, uh, ask yourself first, how can they know this? And if they, uh, they certainly will have facts that, that uh, they use for their assumptions, but you will clearly see that those facts are not so close connected to their interpretations that while their interpretations might really be valid, there clearly can be a completely different interpretation that uh, would explain the same effect. And therefore, I think this is what, especially in these times, we need to be careful of uh, when we are interpreting interpreting uh, scientific findings to separate this interpretation a scientist has to his, the, the facts that he presents or the findings that he presents from the real facts that we have the separations and really understand, okay, while the facts are valid and true, apparently, there still uh, can be a discussion about how to interpret these facts. As a final note on this, let me just say that this, the same problems that this eternal inflation seems to solve, so the problem of uh, uh, a universe which is more ordered than it is supposed to be, and... Um, this uh, concept of uh, the fine-tuning of the universe, both can be also perfectly explained by creation, by, by a creator who creates the world such that it perfectly fits life and such that it is perfectly ordered or such ordered as it needs to be. So this is already a perfect explanation of this and therefore there is, can, it can be not only seen as something which needs to be described in such a theory, but also it can be seen as something which hints at a creator. So that's everything for today's episode. I hope you liked it and you enjoyed each part of it. If you want to get in touch with me or discuss a topic or want to give me some feedback, then feel free to contact me using the contact form at, on my website, sci-faith.de. en, And there you can go to the contact tab and contact me. And uh, if you have any other things you or episodes you want to have covered there or topics you haven't to have covered, uh, feel free. Uh, to uh, contact me there 
Also, if you are not yet familiar with the format in which these, uh, pod, this podcast is produced, let me just briefly explain it to you. So there are always is always at the beginning of a month or of, of, of a block. There are is a, a big block of four episodes in in one thing. It's kind of like a preview, which I call it, where you have the next four episodes all in one episode uh, together combined. And this is for people who like to hear long form format podcasts who have a long way to work or something else where they can listen to a long episode and can then have a preview of the next four episodes all at once or episodes all at once and are completely up to date from the beginning of the blog for those who like uh, their episodes shorter who prefer it if if they have one, a half an hour or even less of a, po a podcast episode for those there is every week afterwards will appear a podcast episode almost in that length and this way I can uh, publish every week a, a new podcast every episode and everyone uh, can have it his own way either once a month a long uh, chunk of um, uh, of uh, content or once a week a shorter uh, form format a podcast episode so I think that's the best way for everyone and also for me when I'm producing it Please also note that this is an independent podcast, which means that it is recorded, produced and marketed by me. So I really need your support in this. So if you like this podcast, then give it a five star rating. And if you have the time, even write a review to it. This just helps other listeners to uh, become aware of this podcast. And then people who might be interested in this content become can become aware of it. Also, if you have friends who you think would like this content, then recommend it to them and share it with them also you can support me in other ways for example by reading my blog and uh, subscribing to my newsletter or even by reading my books uh, which you can uh, find on amazon for example there is um My latest novel out now is Alien Thoughts, which is pretty entertaining from the feedback that I gotten. And so it's also in some way related to science and faith. The topic of it is also in there. But of course, you can also read the book to this podcast, Sci Faith, The Compatibility of Science and Faith, which is also available in English since last year. Thank you for that. And now I wish you a wonderful day. And I'm looking forward for you to tune in again next time.